This is ReachMD. The following program is sponsored by Omnia Education and the Omnia Prova Education Collaborative. Our medical experts are dermatologists, Dr. Becky Fitzgerald and Dr. Sabrina Fabi. Both doctors are paid consultants for Galderma Laboratories. Hi, I'm Dr. Becky Fitzgerald, a dermatologist in private practice in Los Angeles, California, on the clinical faculty at UCLA. And my name is Sabrina Fabi. I'm a dermatologist. I'm assistant clinical professor at the University of California, San Diego, and I'm an associate at Cosmetic Laser Dermatology. So we're here today just to talk a little bit about PLLA. We've both used it for many, many years. So we just want to kind of talk um, and hit some of the high points about, uh, about how to best employ this product because it's a very unique product. Though, what do you think about patient selection. That's obviously a very important thing in everything that we do. Is there a right or a wrong patient for PLLA? I think that with time and experience, you can probably apply this product to anybody. Uh, but I prefer to use it in patients who have pan-facial volume loss because okay. people aren't generally just losing fat in their um, mid-face in isolation. You don't age in one place. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you have many fat compartments. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so although we have products now that are cleared for the mid-face, patients are also losing volume in their temples. They're losing it preauricularly in that lateral cheek fat compartment. And so it's a product that allows me to target and address multiple fat compartments in a way that can also fit into the budgets of a lot of my patients. So, yeah, that's pretty good. And, the, and some people sort of are born with no bone or lose bone as they get older, and then you can target in different multiple tissue layers. Correct. Right? So it's the sinkers and the saggers. Yeah. And, the, and I think, yeah, the sinkers <laughs> and the saggers. And I think one other important point with PLLA is that since it was introduced to the marketplace for very wasted faces in HIV lipoatrophy, it got kind of the wasted face label. And uh, I think, and at the time we were like, well, yeah, it works, but it takes so much product to fill it. And I think what we realize now is that those faces are nearly impossible to fill with anything. It, uh, we were lucky that they, that they filled with the stuff. Exactly. Those are hard faces to fill. Absolutely. So if you start treating aging, as soon as you start aging, if somebody who's 36, 38 comes in and gets treatment, you can, you know, you can just sort of top off the tank a little bit and get a very nice result for a very minimum intervention. And if you wait until you're 80, it, it's it's harder. It's like There's with any product, you're going to need liters of yeah. it. And so I, I agree with you in that analogy. It's a product that I use. You inject it in my face. And that's really um, the main product that I utilize to volumize my face. I do it about once a year. And yes, it's that mid-30-year-old who can benefit from it. But And I can get away with maybe just one treatment yeah. once a year. So I think that's an... I don't mean to interrupt you, yeah. but I just, I just think that's such an important point with this project because I trained for the company for many years and there were always sort of very lipoatrophic, very elastotic faces sitting in the waiting room waiting to get treated. It's not that you can't treat those folks and get a, a decent result, but they're harder patients to treat. So I think we were just sort of reaching for HA to treat the 35-year-olds and they're easier patients to treat. So it's an issue of patient selection and not product selection. And I think that's a very important point to make. Would you agree? I completely agree with you. Okay. And the, so one of the things that makes it a little bit different than a hyaluronic acid filler is that the product itself isn't the filler. 
It's the host reaction to the product that's the filler. Correct. And that has some clinical implications in the in best use. And I think you went over some of this with uh, some of your demos about how you reconstitute and what you use where. And But if you had to sort of sum up what you think the difference is between using a product like this and using a product like HA, how would you how would you do that? So just like with HAs, we don't inject these very viscous or large particle size HAs superficially, nor are they intended to be used in that area. Very similar to PLLA, it's depth of injection that will ultimately affect the type of result that we have and also minimize the adverse events that we can experience. Got it. And so when I use PLLA, I kind of like to think of it like a foundation. So I inject, inject it superperiosteally when I'm injecting in the temple area okay. into the temporalis fossa. I do inject more in the subcutaneous plane when I'm injecting preauricularly, just because I don't want to get into parotid. Sure. So not just remembering my anatomy and remembering that I don't want to get some type of sialocele. Yeah. And then when I'm injecting it into the deep fat compartments of the face, trying to lift some of those mimetic muscles yeah. upon injection and really laying it down on bone because yeah. that's where those superficial fat pads, yeah. those deep fat compartments lay, is yeah. really on top of yeah. bone. Yeah. So being cognizant of that as opposed to injecting it into mimetic muscles because it's not that the product necessarily creates granulomas as much as it actually bunches up if you inject it into a muscle. So I would say that with these biostimulatory things then that are dependent on the host response that what you want to do is sort of blanket the surface area that you want to treat okay. and then you want to wait for the host response to that product. Four to six weeks. And right. then you get some collagen and then if you want more volume you do it again. So if you want more volume with an HA, I guess you could use more HA at that session. session exactly. And if you want more volume with PLLA, the product that you use is determined solely and completely by the surface area that you're going to treat that day. Correct. You blanket that surface area. And then you wait for the host reaction to that. And if you want more volume, you do another session. You do more sessions. So that's how, that's how that works. And I think that that part of the learning curve very early on was a little tough. And then the other thing that you mentioned, putting it in mimetic muscles, what we've learned, I guess, about those biostimulatory agents is that because they're dependent on the host reaction, which comes in and sort of gives you some fibroplasia, that if you clump the product, you get a clump of fibroplasia. Correct. And that doesn't, that's not what you want. No. So, it, uh, um, so we do avoid those muscles now to avoid that complication. Correct. So it's easier to avoid that than it is to treat it. Exactly. So, and that's kind of a, a nodule versus a granuloma, right? Absolutely. We called every lump and bump a granuloma at first, but a granuloma is actually sort of an over-proliferation of foreign body giant cells. So if you use some sort of anti-metabolite like 5-FU or a steroid, you can get rid of a true clinical granuloma. Correct. But if what you've got is a lump or bump of PLLA, steroid's not going to get rid of it. It is, in fact, going to leave like a big moat of atrophy around it. And you Which might as well put anyway. big arrows around the bump and make it worse. Correct. So that's the wrong thing to do. Correct. So I guess as we've learned how not to get those, that, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Right. But if you do get them, I, I, I just put HA around them to hide them until they kind of go away on their own. But they um, they can last. So it, it is important. You Even if you kind of put your finger by your eye and blink, you can feel how powerfully that muscle crunches. And the, that, that, you know, it's going to clump a particle that's 40 to 60 microns for Absolutely. sure. 
So what about other adverse events, I guess, that are common to all? They're common to all fillers. So obviously if you're poking someone with a 25-gauge needle with any product, even water, you can always run the risk of a bruise. You can always run a risk of a hematoma if you puncture a little reticular vein. Um, and you can obviously you know, run the risk of injecting or introducing a microorganism if you're not cleaning the area that you're injecting properly. You know, that's a really good point. Right. Because now that we've got longer lasting fillers, it, uh, um, it's almost like putting in an implant, Absolutely. Right? So I think that a, a lot of people are being much more careful about, uh, about really cleaning the face carefully using something like... Um, Hibiclens. Yeah, surgical right. scrub and alcohol and sterile water because the biofilms can, you know, mycobacterium biofilms can exist in tap water. So if you have them wash their face so. to wash their makeup and then you don't do anything to clean that off, yeah. then you can absolutely introduce an organism yeah. and it's just not with this product but any product. Yeah. And then ischemia and vascular occlusion is a big issue that, you know, is a, that's a, it's an unusual, thank gosh, it's an unusual complication, but it can happen with anything. And the nice thing about this product is that you can actually, you know, withdraw back on your plunger and because yeah. it is essentially reconstituted in water, you're able to get some type of flashback if you are in because a vessel of that low because of the low viscosity. So let me ask you something else. You have really kind of pioneered the use of this product off face. You have. <laughs> you really have. It's and only because I'm in Southern California and everyone wants to run around in bikinis. I know, which is pretty great. Yeah. Which is pretty great. So let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. So I know you started doing, um, you and Dr. Goldman both did a, yes. some work on Yeah, so type. Mitch has actually been doing it for a lot longer yeah. than me. And so uh, he's probably one of the pioneers of the use of uh, really PLLA to the chest. Um, on the, in the chest, when we talk about the chest, we have to remember that the epidermis and dermis are a lot thinner than that of the face. And not a lot of appendages, right? No. Not a lot of sebaceous You only have like 10% or... of the amount of appendages that you okay. actually have on the face on the chest, which is where the dilemma is because even though I do a lot of energy-based devices, we can't apply them as aggressively to effectively treat those wrinkles as we can on the face. And so that's really where our dilemma lied and that's why we started using PLLA in the chest. To get more collagen to than get you more could collagen. get with a device. Not only that, but in addition to losing collagen just from intrinsic and extrinsic aging, you're also losing volume. It's just not the face, but yeah. literally we're losing bone around our vertebrae, we're losing muscle, muscle yeah. atrophies with age, and that subcutaneous fat compartment, which is already very thin to begin with, also atrophies. And so you don't have the support, just like the face, to really tent that skin. And that's a very important cosmetic area, especially in women. Yes. Like nobody wants lines and wrinkles right, right. here. And it worked amazingly well. Oh, it works amazingly well. So our first publication was retrospectively on 28 patients, which we treated. We found that in general, you needed about three treatments to get a one point improvement on a five point wrinkle scale. Um, and so we have patients come in every four to six weeks. Here we reconstitute at 16 cc dilutions. Okay. Some have published on reconstituting with dilutions of either 10 or 12 cc's. Overall, to be safe, we just use 16 cc's and we have gotten great results. Again, the intent is to inject in the subcutaneous plane, not into pectoralis muscle. As with any other area, probably not as 
often as the face if you inject yeah. into a mimetic muscle it could theoretically get into the muscle and yeah. cause a little and cause a bump you know bump yeah. so you have to be cautious ways so to well the nice thing about that is that you we have more control over that than we, Absolutely. Than we used to think yes it the, that's completely a technical issue yes so as long as you're in the right plane you should be you okay. should you're fine and so right. we've never seen we didn't report any nodules in that study and nor have I seen any in clinical practice now treating over 100 people. Got it. So another another place that women complain about a lot is is arms. Yes. The, they start kind of losing a little bit of tone over time. Yes, I mean, because again, you're losing cortical bone of the humerus. You have muscle atrophy of your biceps. And so you don't have the structure to support that skin that's also losing collagen and you're having some you know, elastin fragmentation. And so now you can see that crepiness along the medial arm. So I think you did a demonstration of that in the, in this program today, yes. right? Of kind of strengthening that in the, in the medial arm. Yes. How many treatments would you say that that, I'm, I know that that really is contingent on patient selection. Patient, so yes. probably at least yeah, three. the earlier, the better, but Correct. okay. Correct. Okay. okay. Because again, it's another area that if you use lasers or energy-based devices, you have to be cautious because the skin is again very thin. Okay. And it's an area that is not, you know, that is more susceptible to infection because of the axilla. And so if you're using ablative resurfacing devices in the area, you can increase your risk of infection. Okay. And so also increase your risk of pigmentary changes. And so that's why PLLA is something that fits into people's practices a little bit easier, especially okay. those that don't have energy based devices. Okay. Uh, and Probably after three treatments, you're still looking at the price that it would take to do one energy-based treatment. Got it. Got it. And then last but not least, it's like the this is the age of the butt, right? With the Kardashians <laughs> and Nicki Minaj and like, can Sculptra do that for us? So Neil Sadik actually has shown that injecting about two vials per buttock and up to three treatments can significantly improve the contour of the buttock, especially for those that are thin, like many here in Southern California that stay yeah. really fit, and you just lose that volume. Yeah. And so it's... I know it was used in the HIV lipoatrophy patients initially for yeah. that, too. So, so it's been great. So, but the, it takes quite a bit of product to do that, It I guess. does take... Because, again, you're dealing with a lot, a lot yeah. of surface area. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Thanks so much. You've been tuning in to ReachMD. This program was sponsored by Omnia Education and the Omnia Prova Education Collaborative. To download this podcast and others in the series, visit reachmd.com slash omnia or download the ReachMD app. Thank you for listening.